0: Here we go, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. I've only read the first four verses, but I'm going to do my best to cover uh, the entire chapter, which has 47 verses. So I hope you t uh the Cowboys game. I'm just kidding. Uh, we won't be here very long, uh, but I want to just introduce this thought to you. It's a new year, but this year is going to be exactly like last year unless we have new actions. And if you have new actions, you should anticipate a new year. Uh, There are certain invisible lines in this world. Uh, You can't see them, but when you cross them, everything changes. Let me give you an example. If you get in a plane and you're in New York City and you fly to Los Angeles, as you're flying, you're going to need to reset your watch. Because you don't see those lines, but when you cross through those lines, there's a time change. There's a time change. There's a time change. The equator, you can't go and, and, and look at the equator. It's an invisible line. But when you cross that equator, everything changes. There are certain invisible lines that when you cross them, everything changes. And I just want you to know that a new year is an invisible line, but it's up to us if everything changes or not. It's going to be my passion over the next few weeks to challenge you that if you only change one thing, that you prioritize passionately pursuing the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, that you pray with every fiber in your body and just allow everything else To fall into place. It is so easy to get consumed on so many different worries and concerns. But if we just passionately pursue God to the best of our ability, which is just putting your mind's attention and your heart's affection on God, everything else will fall into place. If you pray harder and more steadfast and more consistent and focused than you ever have before, I promise you You will have the best year you've ever had in your life. If this is the best year, if this is your best year, your best prayer life, you will have your best year. They're directly linked. God controls everything. Let me unpack chapter one of, I'm sorry, chapter two of the book of Acts. You've got these disciples and plus another uh, hundred some odd people. Altogether, there was 120 people up in this upper room. In Jerusalem, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, but they had no idea what the Holy Spirit was. In fact, even today, 2,000 years later, the whole Holy Spirit just sounds kind of intimidating to people that don't know the Bible Uh, In in fact, when uh, the English uh, uh, people, the the English transcribers tried to transcribe the word Holy Spirit, they had such a difficult time because in the Greek, it wasn't Holy Spirit. It wasn't Holy Ghost. The the English transcribers, they didn't know how to translate the word Ruha. See, the word Ruha um, really means... This. I talked about this last week But you can't transcribe it breath or wind or blowing You can't describe it like that And so when the transcribers got together They batted around all kinds of different words They knew it was holy, a.k.a. separate But they didn't understand how to transcribe Ruha So what Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, go in the upper room, wait, do not leave that room until you have Ruha, because without it, you don't stand a chance. And so these disciples were up in the room. They didn't know what Ruha was. They talked about it. They're in this upper room for days and days and days going by just praying and praying. They wanted something new, something fresh because they just lost Jesus. Jesus just went to heaven. He died on the cross. He came back. He talked to him. He told him, go wait for Ruha in the upper room. Now they're waiting. And so they're wanting this new season of change. They're wanting all this to happen so the only thing they know how to do is pray. And all of a sudden it came like a mighty rushing wind. There's four points I want to unpack with you guys today. And point number one is the, the war of waiting. We don't know how long they waited for that moment with God. We don't know. It could be a few days. It wasn't longer than let's say a week or so. Because the, the, there was a, a festival coming up. And it was right on that festival. That this day of Pentecost took place. But it's interesting that days went by. Without them not really knowing what to do. So they just kept on praying. I want to just share an honest moment. About my own prayer life with you. My prayer life Um, has the war of waiting. In fact, those words came out of my mouth last Tuesday while I was praying. You see, while I pray, it's much like when you guys pray. There's certain moments where I feel like I am speaking in God's ear, and we are incredibly close. And then there's other moments where I feel like I'm talking to the wall, And I'm talking to the ceiling. And then there's certain moments where my faith is really high where I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is hearing me and he's going to answer my prayers. And then in the same prayer session, the exact opposite is happening where I wonder if he's hearing me at all. And I start questioning and doubting whether or not what I'm praying for is ever going to happen. And all of these, the emotions are going on. And so we war mentally, we war physically. It's amazing how all of a sudden you decide you're going to pray and you just get hungry. All of a sudden you want to go to the refrigerator and eat something or you start thinking about things you need to do. And then you just stop doing them. And so we war mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. There's this war that's going on eternally while we're trying to pray. Have you ever been in your car and said, I'm going to turn off the radio. I'm going to put the phone underneath my seat and I'm going to pray all the way to work. And you go, dear God. Um, well, you know my thoughts. All right, here we go. Oh, Oh, blah, 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 Life goes on. Oh, no, it, you go right back to singing. Because you, you just don't, it, it's hard sometimes. And, and while I was praying last Sunday, I, I mean, I'm sorry, last Tuesday, those words actually came out of my mouth where I said, God, you're going to have to help me right now. Because if you don't put thoughts in my mind, my whole prayer life is going to be about two minutes long because I can't think of anything else to pray about. And then all of a sudden, I started thinking about things to pray about. And then at minute 22, the same thing happened. I just prayed for 10 minutes, and I was just on fire. I felt like I had muscles on my teeth. And then around minute 24 or 25, it was like, chirp, 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 chirp. And I said, all right, God, I don't want to be done. I don't want to be done, but I, I, I'm, I don't have anything else to talk about. And, and you're going to have to help me, Holy Spirit. I don't know where you're at. I know you're in this room. I know you're on the inside, but you're going to have to help me. And there's this war that takes place. And, and last Tuesday, I, 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 I debated on whether or not I wanted to say this or not, because I don't want to, I don't want it to come across in, in the wrong way, but, um, uh, but more of a testimony to God on, on this point that when you ask for help um, for, for the sake of testifying about his goodness I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Last Tuesday, Allie came to the office. My kids were at at school, and so I decided I was just gonna stay at home and pray. And I I started praying around 9, 9.30, and around 9.31 I felt like I was done. And then and then I kept on praying. I kept on telling God, I don't want to be done. I don't want to be done. I don't have anywhere else to go today. I don't wanna be done. I don't wanna be done. I want you to help me pray. I want you to help me pray. Help me pray. And I prayed longer than I've ever prayed in my entire life in one moment. I prayed for four and a half hours just asking God, I need you to help me pray. I need you to help me pray. And I just want to tell you that there's a war of waiting. If you ever, ever, ever reach a point in your life where you say, dear God, I really want you to be real. I want you to be real in my mind. I want you to be real in my heart. I want you to be real in my spirit. I don't want to just show up to church because it's a good thing to do. I don't want to just show up to church because it's a New Year's resolution. I don't want to just show up to church. I want you to be real. I want to close my eyes and believe that you're so real that I feel like if I open my eyes, you're actually going to be there. I want my ears to be open to where I can stop guessing if that's you. I want to really know that that's you. Has anyone ever thought that? Has anyone ever thought that? I don't know if that's God or if that's me. God, I'm done with those seasons. I want to know your voice. And when you speak to me, I know it's you. It's not me talking to me. It's not the devil talking to me. I know your voice. That's what I want, but you're going to have to help me. I just want to say, if you ever, ever, ever reach that moment in your life where you draw the line in the sand and you say, This is the year. This is the year where I am going to go ahead and war while waiting. See, waiting is not easy. You got a war. It is a war. It is W-A-R. It is a war. And it is one of those wars you will fight for the rest of your life, but you can win it. You can win it, but you have to ask for the Holy Spirit. And I believe that those disciples, those 120 people in the upper room, I believe they had to do that. I believe they were saying, you told me to come to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. I don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. I don't even know what I'm supposed to pray about. I don't know. Is he going to come ring the doorbell? Is it a spirit? Is it going to come in my mind? I don't know what's going on, but you're going to have to help me pray. I feel like walking out of this room. I feel like an idiot right now. 121, 120 people in this room. You're going to have to help me. And, And the There is a war of waiting. And I just want to say that if you fight the war, the Holy Spirit will help you pray. It will bring things to your remembrance and teach you all things. And the Bible says this, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, which means I'm going to seek you. I am going to seek you. In fact, I'm gonna make an appointment before I go to sleep every single night on when I'm gonna seek you. And I gotta tell you this: ever since I started doing that, make an appointment on my phone for the next day of when I'm gonna seek God. I'll look into my calendar the next day and go, this happened several times. God, I'm back to back. My day starts at, at, at such and such time, it doesn't end until the evening. I'm back to back. I, I and I realized that if I'm going to have this prayer time, I've got to wake up at 4.45, 5 a.m. to fit that in. And now we got a decision we need to make. Are you going to fight the war? Are you going to get out of bed? When are you going to do it? You're going to set the alarm for 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm sorry, this appointment is over. I've enjoyed meeting with you, ma'am. I've enjoyed meeting with you, sir. I've really enjoyed, I've got another appointment. And you walk them out of there at your office and then you shut the office door, you shut the lights down because your appointment's with God. You said it the night before, you're gonna be on time for your appointment. It's a war of waiting. See now, if we do this, we should fully anticipate what we read in the book of Acts where the wind and the fire show up. Now, the wind and the fire is something very interesting because wind itself, it, it, it's symbolic. It was physical, like there was a physical feeling in that room that day. But I don't know that we should necessarily expect for the same thing to happen. See, God is so creative that he gets bored after he does something. You know, he's only had one burning bush that he spoke through and spoke to Moses. He only did that one time. There was only one time where he parted the Red Sea. Don't expect that to happen again. I'm not saying he won't, but I don't see God doing things twice. He makes one snowflake, and he's bored with that design, and he makes another one. He doesn't make two of the same snowflakes, every single tree, every single leaf, every single fingerprint, every single eye. Everything's different. Why? He loves to be creative. He loves to be new. I wouldn't necessarily necessarily expect a mighty rushing wind when you pray. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I'm just saying, historically speaking, God likes to do things new. So the wind is is more symbolic. And when the wind showed up that day and began to blow, something I believe is very important for us all to recognize is that the wind is more of a, a symbolic breath of spiritual life. It's like all of a sudden, it's like this. <sighs> <sighs> Have you ever tried to see how long you can hold your breath underwater in a pool? Hey, you just... <sighs> I don't know why we blow air into our mouth. I think we think that that it's gonna, if we blow our cheeks out, it's gonna help us hold our breath better. But, but you just go... <sighs> And then all of a sudden when you come out, what do we all do? And that moment right there rocks, doesn't it? Sometimes I try to sleep under my covers just because it's fun, but then I run out of air. I want to sleep under my covers so bad because the first two minutes is so awesome. But then I'm like, I really did think about going to get my son's snorkel and put it in. Because I want to be under the covers, and I try to stay under there as long as I can, and then all of a sudden, I'll pull the covers down, and, and that just that one moment—oh gosh, that feels good. It, it's just like just doesn't that feel good? Everybody, do that on three: one, two, three. Doesn't that feel good? I know you feel like an idiot, but doesn't it feel good? It's like. It's like this wind. It's like this, uh, it, it gives the wind, it gives the spiritual life where, where all of a sudden your relationship with God feels like exactly uh, being underneath a, a cover, so to speak. Of, uh, it's a little bit difficult. And then all of a sudden it's like, uh, can you imagine your relationship with God, my relationship with God, just feeling... Uh, like, it's just alive. It just, it feels good. You, you know, you just love it. It just, it's its not lame. It's not stale. It's not boring. It's just, you don't need me. You don't need the worship team. You don't need KSBJ. You don't need it. It's its alive in you. And, and that's the first thing that the, the wind symbolically represented and, the, and then the fire the fire showed up it was above everybody's head and and I would I would say once again I wouldn't necessarily anticipate God doing that again I, I wouldn't suggest you looking around the congregation during worship waiting for tongues of fire to show up on top of people's heads I wouldn't anticipate that because again God's so creative. He likes to do things new. But it was symbolic. It was symbolic. It was more of this. He gave them this, this unquenchable, this, this, this unconquerable zeal. This zeal. It was like fire in their veins. It, it was like they, they couldn't even stop. It was like this. They couldn't contain it. They had to talk about it. They, 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 they It's like... It's like you would be if you won the lottery. Ah! Do you know what I'm saying? It's like you can't, you can't. It's like, um, oh, I just won. No. Bye-bye, going to Hawaii. It's ah! It's like this fire. It's like this this unconquerable zeal. And, and that's something that you don't need to feel guilty for not having. That's something only the Holy Spirit gives to those who fought the war of waiting. And, and that is so important because this is, this is what life can often be like. We find things that we're passionate about. And so like this, this flame, when I was in high school, I was passionate about basketball. I, I wanted to go to Duke University. They, they saw my grades and then that flame went right out. <laughs> Just like that. Um, <laughs> there's, there's things that we get passionate about. You know it's always funny to me whenever I meet with somebody in my office and they're engaged to be married because they are burning <laughs> and it just feels like I don't know about a week afterwards they they just came down the aisle last week, and it's like what what what's happening here um it you know, I don't care what the passion is in life, you know if you're a guy in this room there's A certain vigor there's a certain uh, adrenaline rush that you feel if you work at a place of employment that you kind of enjoy and things are going really well it's like this adrenaline rush it's hard to explain but in that place between sleep and awake doesn't matter how much you love hitting a home run at work you do ask yourself how many more years do I got to do this Because even that doesn't stay alive. What I've noticed in my own life is that it doesn't matter what I get passionate about. It doesn't stay on fire very long. And all of us hit this moment at different stages in life. Some of us hit 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. But you reach this point where it gets incredibly depressing. Because you start realizing doesn't matter what it is doesn't matter and then you start realize I, for me i use the word trapped i feel like i'm trapped in this world not to make this a counseling session about me at all but i just feel trapped because nothing stays exciting for very long and and i just want to say the reason why every single flame goes out is because you are a spirit. And for a temporary moment, you're having a physical experience. And when the wind and the fire come into your life, then, my friends, we begin to burn on the inside like we have never have before. And you feel more alive than you have ever before. And the reason why I'm talking to you right now, and 90% of this room is saying, I don't really know you very well, Frankie, but you're speaking my language right now. That's what I am what i've been showing up to church for days weeks months some of us years some of us have gone to church over 2000 times in our life with this hope and expectation that just maybe there's going to be this moment where this fire for god and this passion and this mo- this experience and this relationship is incredibly personal and powerful and awesome and addictive and in every word that I try to use to explain it fails because it's just so amazing because it has fire and it has wind and those two things alone are incredible. But even in the physical world, if you take both of them and put them together, oh my goodness. We've all seen those clips on TV of a forest fire where that flame is moving across the forest faster than a man can run, where there's not a hill, there's not a mountain, there aren't trees that can handle wind and fire together. And when God puts that in us, if we had every word at Our command, we still couldn't describe how alive we feel. But that only happens to the people that will fight the war of waiting, of seeking, of wrestling, of talking. When you feel like you're praying to yourself, you're praying in your head in the middle of a meeting. You're praying in your heart, in your car. And then when you're finally alone, you pray out loud. And you feel like you're talking in circles, but you just keep on praying anyway. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, don't stop praying. In another place in the Bible, it says this, that those who seek me and seek me with all of their heart, they will find me. It goes on to say, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I Adopt these words if you want to. I say them all the time. I say, God, you said. I didn't say it. You said it. Nobody made you say it. You, nobody made you say it. You volunteered it. You said, I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. I'm trying, to, I'm, I'm trying to be as diligent as I know how to be. I'm seeking you to the best of my ability. I don't know how to seek you any better than what I am. I'm being as diligent. As I can. I'm trying to be as diligent as I can. I'm I'm praying with as much focus as I know how to pray. And I am going to do this every single day of my life until you do what you said you would do, and you said you would reward me. I don't know how you're gonna reward me. I don't know how. I'm not even going to give you any suggestions. I'm gonna expect that if you can make a new snowflake every time you blink, if you can cause wind to come and wind to go and wind to go this way and wind to go that way and none of us know when wind is coming or how it comes or where it comes from, and you direct it, I'm just gonna bet you know how to reward me. And I'm gonna keep on praying until you do. You know, there is a war of waiting. And I wanna say this, that... When God does finally say, wow, (laughs) that daughter of mine, that son of mine is going to pray until I move. You know, there's a story in the Bible that Jesus told that there was this guy in his room. And there was a woman banging at the door in the middle of the night for him to open the door. It's in Luke chapter 11. And the Bible actually uses this word right here. It's called importunity. And and it basically means this, that because of her importunity, because of her persistence, the man came out and granted her wish, not because he loved her, but just because she wouldn't quit. Do any of you have children? (laughs) This seems like a natural example. Do you have a child? Can I have a piece of candy? Can I have a piece of No, 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 no. Eat the candy. Are you with me? Can I have, stay up for five more minutes? Five more minutes? Five more minutes? Five, no, 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 no. Stay up for an hour. Just be quiet for the love of all. good and holy (laughs) that's what the bible is saying jesus is saying because the woman would not stop. And if a man who is sinful knows how to give good gifts to their children, how much more does a God who is good and holy and has sent his son to die on the cross, how much more does he know how to give good gifts to those who refuse to stop seeking him? Come on, give the Lord a round of applause for that. My goodness. Now when this happens, something awesome happens. You see, when you're willing to go through that war of waiting, which I want to say is incredibly difficult. All of us knows, know, know what that feels like. Then all of a sudden there's this, this moment where there's the wind and the fire. But then point number three is that there's the works of God begin to happen. You see, I don't know what it is in your life that you're hoping for and, and you're wishing for and you're, you're, you've got your fingers crossed on. But these disciples, they wanted nothing more than to tell people about Jesus. But they found it so hard to build a crowd. Even if they paid people to listen to them, they wouldn't probably listen because the Roman government would punish Christians. So they were afraid to listen. Listen. They couldn't gather a crowd to save their life. They wanted it more than they wanted anything in the world. And then all of a sudden, God got involved. The wind and the fire showed up. And do you know what happened is the wind was so... So loud. It was so powerful that over 3,000 people came running to the disciples to say, "What is happening with you guys?" And Peter said, "I think this is my moment." And he started preaching. It was the largest crowd he's ever preached to in his entire life. In his whole life. He's been, for three years, he's been trying to get people to listen to him. Listen to me. Listen to him. It's so hard for him to get a crowd. And all of a sudden, he gets the biggest crowd of his entire life. And on top of that, he was more impactful than he could have ever been. Because there were people from different nationalities there. They were all there for the festival that I told you about earlier. And so some people spoke in this language and some people spoke in that language and 120 people could speak to them in their own words. Wow. So you got 3,000 people, the biggest crowd that they've ever seen in their entire life and they're blown away. They're completely captivated. They are so in because they are speaking their language. Let me transition this thought to a personal level. I don't know what it is you're hoping for. I don't know if your finances are so stressful that you can't think about anything else. I don't know if the the tenor, the feel of your family is so stiff and static. If you have an addiction that just has a, a hold of you, you don't like it, you wish you didn't have it, but it's like a fish hook in your mouth. So, we do the best we can, right? We do the best we can. We, we, we do this and we do that and we do this and we try this and we try that and we try this. and We, we try counseling and, and we try communicating better and we try New Year's resolutions and, and we try this and we try that. And, and I just want to say that if you are courageous enough to go through the war of waiting, I just want you to know That when God gets involved, he will bring what you are craving to you. No more do you go out beating the streets and trying your best and getting frustrated. You know what the Bible says about hoping? Hoping. The Bible says this that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Have you ever been hoping and wanting something for so long and it doesn't happen that now you're sick to your stomach about it, that you don't even hope for it because you're so sick of being disappointed? That's what that means. Is that we try and we try and we try and we try and we make these, and if I'm just more disciplined, if I can just be more disciplined, if I could just shut my big mouth a little bit more often, I've prayed this a hundred times. I, I, I just, everything would be so much better. But when the work of God begins to come in, when the wind and the fire, however that shows up in our life, it comes to you. You know, let me illustrate it with this thought. There was a guy named David. He's just a little boy at the time, he got anointed to be king of Israel. And as he grew up, the present king, a guy named Saul, realized that people were starting to love David, this, this young boy. And so after a season and another season of David being celebrated, he got so jealous that he took a spear and tried to kill David. And then he got his army and started chasing David. And so this young man, David, just in his mere 20s is, is hiding. For years he's hiding and, and the friends around David said, David, you're a better warrior than Saul is. Why don't you just kill Saul and take the crown that's yours? God wants you to have the crown. God wants you to kill Saul. Don't you love it when God, when people try to get their own way, so they put God in the sentence? Do you hear what that sounds like? God wants you to kill him. Really? (laughs) Our, Our generations pastor, Pastor Lance, has a little girl named Grace, and I was in the car with him one time, and she was screaming to high heaven. Rah! She thought she was four years old at the time. Ah! That little bag in the back of her throat. A little little It was just going nuts. I looked back there. I didn't even see her face. I just saw this big mouth. It was like, wham. Rah! And so Lance, Pastor Lance, he, he takes a, a Pocahontas DVD because he had one of those little fancy things in his car. So he puts Pocahontas in, he presses play and he goes, watch Pocahontas and, and she goes I don't want to watch Pocahontas I don't want to watch Pocahontas. Jesus doesn't want me to watch Pocahontas <laughs> do you love it when people stick Jesus in there to kind of boost up their position a little bit you know Jesus doesn't. so they're telling David, God wants you to kill Saul. And, and David's like, I'm not going to go chase my crown. And I'm not going to do that. And wouldn't you know, just a few years later, Saul was on the battlefield fighting. He was killed. When he was killed, the crown fell off the top of his head. And somebody picked up the crown. They went looking for David they say, David, I think this is yours. And see, the crowd came to David. The disciples, the crowd came to the disciples. And I want to tell you, if you are willing to be courageous enough to war in prayer... And stop trying to do it like we did it in 2014 and 13 and 12, 11, 10, 9. Enough of these slogans. There's going to be more in 2004. We're going to heaven in 2007. Fooey on that. Let's get passionate about God and stop all these man-made disciplines and themes and excitement and emotion. Enough of that. Let's go back to what we know will work and dig our heels in and be become steadfast and and Watch what you want to happen come to you. It'll come to you. Absolutely. And if it doesn't come to you, then you just keep praying and keep praying and keep praying and say, God, I don't know how many children you have, but I'm going to be the most nagging child you have. And I'm going to worship you so much. And I'm going to remind you how great I know you are. Until you can't do anything else but move. There was a guy named Cornelius. He wasn't a Jew. And in those days, Jews weren't honored people. Uh, If you were not a Jew, you were not honored. He wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. And he kept on praying, and he kept on praying, and he kept on praying. And people would say, you're, you're, why are you praying? You're a Jew. You're, I'm sorry, you're a Gentile. Kept on praying, kept on praying, kept on praying, kept on praying. And the scripture says this, that God said, what is this memorial in front of me? And it was all of Cornelius's prayers stacked up on top of each other. And God moved in his life. I don't know about you, but I am so fed up with how things have been going. I am going to build a memorial of prayers before God until he looks down and says, Michael, Gabriel, what is this? Wow. those are Frankie's prayers. They've been stacking on top of each other, sir. What does he want? And I love it when God asks questions that He already has answers to. Oh my goodness, Gabriel! Stop petting your feathers and get down there. (laughs) You know, if you're new here, I'm sorry for (laughs) the way I preach. You know, there's there's some people that find it very, very difficult to wait because God has disappointed them. I want to tell you, I'm a preacher's kid. I was going to church before I was born. And I preached my first message when I was 17. I, I think, not to give away my age here, but I'm on my 20th year of preaching, that's a lot of preaching. And and I just want to tell you I've been disappointed with God's decisions many times. Not once or twice. <laughs> many times. I've told this story many times before, I, it's worth saying again, I prayed for this little baby when we were at the Woodlands High School before we had this building. The baby had a broken collarbone. I laid my hands on her collarbone and said, in Jesus' name, be healed. And, and I felt it right underneath my fingers. I felt the bone just go right underneath my fingers. And I, I was standing in front of the church when it happened, and my eyes went just like this. Has God ever answered your prayer? And you're like, I know God's gonna answer my prayer. And then he answers your prayer. I was like, oh my gosh, God answered my prayer. <laughs> You know, and so I'm like, "Be cool, be cool, be cool. Act normal. You're the preacher, for goodness sakes. Be cool." So I've, uh, but in that same week, I was checking myself into a hotel right here in the woodlands, asking God to heal this lady named Lana of cancer, begging God. The baby gets healed. Lana dies. To this day, I'm pretty confused about that because the baby was going to be fine. We already had a surgery on the calendar. The baby was going to be fine. Lana was a single mother of an 11-year-old and the 11-year-old had never met her father before. That was a big deal. How God says yes to one prayer and no to another prayer It's very difficult as children to back up and say. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sometimes he gives. Sometimes he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's very, very hard. And that's why... We all know somebody and maybe you are that somebody that when I talk about the war of waiting, it's incredibly difficult because you don't want to say it out loud because you don't even want to revisit the moment. But that moment of saying of yourself, God said no and he should have said yes. There was this guy, I'm going to close in just a few minutes. Isaiah, come up here and help me real quick. There's this guy That I feel like we can all be inspired by. His name was Horatio Spafford. He was the businessman. He was an attorney that funded. He was very wealthy. He funded um, a guy by the name of Dwight L. Moody's ministry. Many of you have heard of Dwight L. Moody. He's one of the greatest evangelists that has ever lived he was he was an attorney and he funded he gave him thousands and thousands of dollars so here this businessman who's completely devoted to god he's given money to the work of god and then all of a sudden the dominoes just fall see he had five children and but he only had one son and and he lost his son to scarlet fever Two years later, in the year 1873, the Chicago fires happened. Many of you guys have read about it. Well, he lost everything. He lost everything. He lost so much money. So you have this man of God who's a businessman, who loves the Lord. He's been worshiping God. He's been giving his money to Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody is able to have this phenomenal ministry because of his gifts, and he loses his son, and then he loses all of his money. And Dwight L. Moody calls him up. Dwight L. Moody was in England at the time, and he says, hey, Horatio, why don't you get on a boat and just get away, man? Just get away. You need some time away. Get on a boat and just come visit me. Put your whole family, just come visit me. And Horatio Spafford said, all right, uh, you're right. I'm, I'm coming. I'm coming. So he buys five tickets. Um, one for himself. It was four kids, so there were six tickets. And right before they were getting on the ship, the city of Chicago calls him up and says, hey... um." There is this zoning commission meeting. The fires have taken down all the buildings. We don't even know whose property is which right now. And we're having a meeting. We're gonna figure out which property was yours so at least you can retain your property. So he calls up Dwight L. Moody and says, look, I can't come. I gotta go to this zoning commission meeting. I'll come in a few weeks. I'm gonna go ahead and send my wife and my children ahead of me. I'll come in a few weeks. I've got to go to this zoning committee meeting. His wife and his children get on a boat. They're crossing the Atlantic. They don't have the technology that we have today. This was in 1873. Two ships crash into each other. He gets a telegram from his wife and it says, all is lost. I'm alive. His four girls were at the bottom of the Atlantic. Lost his son, lost his business, lost his four children. If you're a parent in this room, there is nothing we wouldn't give up for the sake of one child, but to lose five. How many of you have prayed the prayer I've prayed? God, I will. I will go through any trial you want, but just don't touch my children. Don't touch my kids, please. Don't let Satan come close to my kids. That's how I know God loves us because he only had one and he let them hang on a cross. Lost five. So the zoning committee meeting was over. He gets in a ship and he's sailing across and he tells the captain of the ship, he goes, hey, look, from what I understand the, the longitude, latitude, I think my children, he pulls out a map. And he goes, I think, I think my children died about this point in the Atlantic. And he goes, when we get to this point, would you mind just stopping and dropping anchor? I'd like to have a moment. He stands at the bow of the ship They drop anchor and here's this man of God. He has been praying his whole life. He's been worshiping his whole life. He's been giving sacrificially his whole life and now he has lost it all. How many of us know somebody that have lost less and ran quicker? So he's standing on this bow and he out of just the abundance of his heart as his heart cries out he begins to just word this this poem these words he ended up writing them down and he came back home and he had a buddy of his named philip Blass, and he told him about the moment and philip Blass was a good friend of his and he had some musical ability and he took the poem and put him into words and And some of you might even recognize the words that he cried out to God. Why don't you take a listen to this before I close? I feel like those words have other words in the background that say something along these lines God I don't understand what in the world is happening and even though my mind is going crazy I just want you to know my soul my soul is still yours it is well with my soul my mind is going crazy. My soul is not going anywhere. You're still my father. I'm still your son. I know when I get to heaven I'll be able to ask you, but when I get there it won't make any it, it won't matter anyway. But my soul it's yours. You know what he did with the remainder of his life? It's my last and final point. He started He continued working for the kingdom. He continued to invest. He continued to give. And and that is exactly what they did in the last part of Acts chapter 2, verse 46. These new believers, these 3,000 new believers in 46, it says, they worshiped together at the temple every day. Every day they had church. They met in homes for the Lord's supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. They they kept on investing their whole life into the kingdom. Those life group cards, that's not that's underneath your seat that we want you to be a part of. That's not an original idea. We stole that idea out of the book of Acts. (laughs) Because we know when the dominoes fall we need each other. As much as we don't like carving that out of our week we need each other. And I'm hoping all of you all of you either today or next week Sometime soon, because they start in February. I hope all of you, you're a part of one. You either lead one or you attend one or you open your home for one. Let's all stand to our feet for me, please.